Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, it's going to be a good day today. It's already a good day, but I feel like we need to... I don't know where your expectations are for this service today, but I want to tell you what's going to happen. So... What's going to happen is we're going to walk out of here more like who Jesus is and less like who we were when we walked in. What's going to happen is we're going to walk out of here. Some of us are going to walk out of here with a new passion and a new fire for what God's doing in us. Some of us are going to walk out of here forgiving people. Some of us are going to walk out of here healed. This is the expectations I want us to have. Man, we come into the, the presence of the living God, so let's not have low expectations of, man, this is just another service. Let's have high expectations for what God's going to do because this is not just a gathering of people. This is a gathering of the saints of the living God who worship the one true God who is worthy of all of our praise. So, man, I just want our expectations as we dive in to the word to be high for how we leave. That was bonus. Guys, I'm excited. My name's Ryan. Amy introduced us, but um, it's awesome to have you guys with us. If you're a first-time guest, man, we love you, we care for you, and we want to connect with you. If I haven't had a chance to talk to you this morning, it wasn't because I was ignoring you. It was because I just didn't see you. So come, I would love to talk with you and, 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 and touch base. So this morning, we're in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. We're in a series called Nehemiah Pray, Plan, Build. And I'll give you a moment to get there. And let's throw it up for a second. If, if you, if you uh, are reading in your own Bible, we're in Nehemiah chapter 5. I'm reading now the New Living Translation. It says, About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, We have such large families, we need more food to survive. I can feel their pain. I have a 16-month-old baby boy that eats nonstop. I need more food to survive, just for him. Yesterday, we went to a splash pad in, in Spring Hill, and he didn't want anything to do with the water. All he wanted was to eat the quart of blueberries. And I'm not joking. He downed the whole thing. I, I understand. <laughs> Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family of those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. I want to address something hermeneutically in our Bible study, because there's a disconnect between when they say slavery and when we say slavery. Because we imagine... And it's not, not a bad thing, but it, 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 the, our, our glimpse of how we view slavery is wrong, okay? So we, we filter it through our nation's history. And that is a horrible black spot in our nation's history. But the reality is, biblical slavery was much different. And the law of God actually afforded that if a family, it was a last resort, but if a family needed to sell their children it wasn't like what we would imagine it was more like 
hey, you can use my child to do your chores, to work your fields and everything, but at the end of the day, they're still, they're still my children. So it was almost basically like they got a job, but, but so the law of God afforded that. But what was happening was, and the reason why there's such an outcry, and this is where the wealthy Jews were breaking the law, was they were taking children of their fellow Jews, obeying the law because they needed the, the money. They were, they were paying for the use of their children to work their fields, to do the different things and stuff like that. And then, But at the end of the day, after the debt was paid or whatever, the children would go back to the, to the, to the family. But the Jews were taking and turning around and, and reselling the children to, to pagans and Gentiles. And that's a horrible thing. The Lord strictly forbids that in Deuteronomy, this, the, like the same, like the one verse says, you're allowed to do this, but the next verse says, you're not allowed to resell. Because technically, the children aren't the landowners. Even though they use the term slavery. It, it, it's, so I, wanted, I want to address this because you're like, wow, man, these people were heartless. Selling their own kids just to pay a mortgage. I would never do that. But it wasn't what we think. It wasn't how we thought. We must sell our children into slavery. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry, livid, ticked off. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who had to sell themselves into pagan to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem, redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. I, I often find when people know they're doing wrong and you call them on it, there's not a lot they can say. Because when you know you're wrong, you're wrong. Then I pressed further. Don't you love it when God presses us a little deeper and a little harder and a little further? Isn't that amazing? No one loves it. It's, it's, it's awful. But God does it to help us. God does it to grow us. So then I press further. What, are you, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Listen, God doesn't be mocked. It says, make no mistake, God cannot be mocked, but we can be mocked because of our representation of him and how we represent him. I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged them when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more of the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priest and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes 
and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen. I mean, so be it. And they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Father, I pray right now that as we dive into this, that you will open our ears and open our hearts to receive from you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. So Lord, I pray that you get me out of the way. The last thing people need is to hear me. They need to hear you. So open our ears, do surgery on us. Open our hearts, do surgery on us. Open our minds, do surgery on us. And let us walk out of here on fire for you, changed by who you are. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed what hurts most in life? Have you, ever, have you ever thought about, like, when you get offended and the hurt gets deep? Think about who hurts you the deepest. Like, don't think about that person, but kind of in a generalized, it's almost always people who are closest to us. Because if you're driving down the road and someone flies the California wave at you, you don't think anything of it. You might get irritated, but it might ruin your five minutes or an hour. But it doesn't ruin your day. But if someone hurts you that's in your family, that might ruin your year. If someone hurts you that's in your family, that might hurt that relationship. That might ruin your decade. There are some people that are dealing with hurt in their family that, that, that's decades old, that people aren't getting past. And... I've noticed something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose two questions, and we're going to deal with it. The first question I want us to think about is what stops the work of God in us and through us? This is, uh, this is a good question. This is something we need to ask because there are things that the enemy is trying to do in your life that's trying to stop the work of God in your life. There are things that the enemy is trying to do to you that's trying to work, stop the work of God through you. And so... The, the question is, what stops the work of God in us and through us? Because I look at the Jews here, and it's kind of interesting. Because they got insulted in the last chapter. They got lied about in the last chapter. And they got threatened in the last chapter. All three of those are a big deal. Now, we, we, we kind of talked about, you know, like, um, your level of maturity is tied to your level of offendability. So if you're easily offended, you're not very mature. So if you, you can't help it when people insult you. That's something they do. How you respond to it is whether you get offended by the insult. The Jews, they just blew it off. There is a level of maturity there. They just kept working. Okay? So then the enemy tried a different strategy and attacked their work. Even if a fox walks on it, the wall's going to fall. They attacked the work they were doing for God. So they blew it off because they knew it wasn't true. When you know the truth, lies don't tend to bother you as much. So the enemy stepped it up a little bit in the last chapter, and then he threatened them. And, and Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they're like, man, we're going to swoop down, we're going to kill them. The Jews were walking in fear, and, but, but they responded with, with faith and prayer, and then they did what they needed to do. They obeyed and they acted, and guess what? The enemy, they, they, they wanted to attack the Jews to frustrate them, but then God stepped in and frustrated the enemy, and the attack never came. Because they kept working out their purpose. They kept working on the wall. So the lies, the offense, or not the lies, the, the lies, the insult, and the threats did not stop the work on the wall. Did not stop the purpose. But guess what stopped the purpose? Guess what stopped the work? Dissension. 
Dissension stopped the purpose. It wasn't attacked from without. It was attacked from within. They were united against a common enemy. Tobiah, Sambalat, and the Arabs, they were threatening them. And they're like, let's unite against them. And, and Nehemiah said at the end of the last chapter, he said, man, if you hear the horn, run into battle and the Lord will fight for us. Everyone was united. In chapter 3, if you recall, like, man, there was nobles on the wall working. There were, there were perfume makers on the wall working. There were daughters on the wall working. There were sons. There were priests. There was goldsmiths. There was everyone on the wall working, united in their purpose. But then the enemy sowed dissension. And it stopped the work. For the first time in Nehemiah, the work on the wall stopped. Because the hurt was from within. Dissension is defined as the disagreement that leads to discord. Have you ever noticed that if a family member hurts you deep, I mean, that, that takes a long time to get over. It does. It, that offense just dwells. And the reason why is because they're in close proximity to you. If someone away from me, just in a physical sense, if someone at the back of the room had a knife, and I'm up here and they're stabbing me, it doesn't really, even though they're making the motion, it doesn't hurt me. But if I, if I step down and I get close and then they make the motion, suddenly... I get hit because I'm in close proximity. And, and family members, they're usually the closest. And when they, when they wound us, it, it cuts the deepest. And it takes the longest time to get over. And it's, it, 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 it's a, a trickle. It might start off as a wound, and you're, you might start off as, why would they do that? But dissension quickly follows. And discord quickly sets in. And I've, I've met people where there are times in my life when my sister was off the deep end doing her thing, I did not want to go home for the holidays. I would go to my friends' houses because I knew my sisters would be there. I wanted to see my parents and my other sister, but um, there's just times where there's discord, and it doesn't make it pleasant, and those wounds hurt so deep. But have you ever noticed that if another, another person came in and said, man, your, your sister's just a, just a dumb drug addict, I'd be like, whoa, 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 even though it might be true. You know, like, you're about to get into fighting words because we defend our, our family. No one else can say that about our family, even though it might be true. And the Jews were hurt deep. The threats didn't hurt them. The lies didn't hurt them. The offense didn't hurt them. But they said, our family selling us into slavery. Our family is, is, uh, is acting unjustly against us. And the, the enemy stopped the work on the wall with dissension. Now, you might say, well, that's, you know, they could just work through it. So this is kind of a big deal. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. No, there are seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent blood, hearts that plot evil, uh, feet the race to do wrong, false witness who pours out lies. And the last one, 
It's kind of interesting. Like, when you think about this, it says, a person who sows discord in a family. Like, God hates hands that kill innocent blood. Like, I mean, I could get on with that. Like, that's not just. That's not right. He, he, he hates hearts that plot to do evil. But then he puts person that sows dissension in a family up there with hands that, that kill innocent blood. This is a big deal to God. And, it's, and, and I, I, I'm wondering, like, why is it such a big deal to God? And I'm wondering, how can a God that loves and cares so much for his people hate things? Like, God is love. That's what First John tells us. Like, God in his very nature is the definition of love. And there is this discrepancy sometimes in our mind between how we understand love and how God understands love. And so we got to reconcile the discrepancies between the Word of God and how we understand love because how we understand love is wrong. We have one word to describe love. The Bible uses seven. And, but God's love is unconditional, but He loves us so much that He doesn't want things to step into our lives that would stop, that would literally stop His purpose. Maybe the reason why he hates dissension so much is because he understands what it can do. It could tear people away from their purpose. It could tear people away from the blessing that he wants to pour out on us. He wants to bless his people. It tears us away. It tears us away from doing his work that he called us to do because our blessing is tied to obedience. And it tears us away from being obedient. And it leads, dissension leads to so many things. It leads to, it, it, it leads to, a lack of joy, it leads to bitterness. And, and bitterness, the best definition I could come up with is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. And so that's what it does to you because when you're bitter against someone else and you're angry against someone else, guess what? That person doesn't even know and they're living their life and they're enjoying life and you're just sitting there steaming over it. And, and dissension leads to all this and, and this is what's happening to the Jews. The Jews are... The Jews are literally steaming over the injustice. And I'm not saying that they were wrong, but it took them off their purpose. And may I suggest that if they would have kept doing their purpose, God would have worked out the... Because he was already restoring their families. Nehemiah was already buying back the people. He was already doing what was right. I'm not saying we don't outcry against injustice, but I'm saying that we do it properly and not let it... Lead into dissension. Another thing dissension does is it makes us paint a target on the wrong enemy. It makes us paint a target on the wrong enemy. What stops the work? Well, the Jews suddenly stop painting the target on the enemy without their walls. Tobiah, the Arabs, the Samaritans, the Samaritan army, um, Sam Ballot, they started looking inside, and suddenly the true enemy that was out there. We start looking inside, and we're like, whoa, that, that person's our enemy because they had this injustice. And we start picking out things that are different than us, and then, um, wow, that person lied, that person, and we start noticing things. And then Jesus, Jesus made this amazing thing. He said something so amazing that I think it would really help when we're dealing with people and, 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 and looking at who our true enemy is. Um, 
He said, before you pull a speck out of someone else's eye, at least get the plank out of your own. And the reason why is so you can see clearly. Because when we take that plank out, we can at least see clearly to remove their speck. But dissension makes us paint targets on the wrong people. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, our friend Paul, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, if we think of a person that's against us, when I say enemy, then we're painting a target on the wrong thing. Because he says our battle's not against flesh and blood. And last time I checked, everyone is made out of flesh and blood. Nehemiah is kind of dealing with this in a different way. They actually had a real enemy that was flesh and blood, that wanted to destroy their work. But they're focusing on themselves. And when they focused on themselves, when you focus on yourself, that means your back's turned to the real enemy. And that's a bad thing. Because the Bible says our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I've watched a lot of documentaries about lions. I've referenced that before. But I, I think lions are so cool. I think lions and tigers, I think they're just cool. And lions, they, they wait until someone's isolated and their backs are turned and then they pounce. Tigers are even more, uh, they're, they're even cooler because tigers can blend into their environment and, uh, better because of the stripes on them. And, and they are so sneaky. Like, tigers will go through water. Like, they say cats don't like water. Tigers love water. Man, tigers will take a kill from an alligator or a crocodile. I'm not joking. Go look it. It's crazy. And, but they sneak up. And so the people in India have learned something. And if you ever see people, like, in, in paintings and stuff, they have a, a mask on the back of their head that has a face. And, like, what they discovered was tigers won't attack if they think you're looking at them. Tigers will not attack someone. So these, these Indian workers are bent down, cutting the bamboo or whatever they're harvesting, and they have this mask on the back. It has no protection other than the fact that it looks like they're looking out the back of their head. And a tiger will not attack if, if it thinks you're looking at it. And the, Peter tells us to, to wise up our enemies like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If we're watching the enemy, we're, we're saying, oh God, I'm ready for you. We're not so concerned about what's behind us because our true enemies in front of us. And Paul says, our, we battle not against flesh and blood. So dissension kept the work of the wall stopped. It kept the Jews from fulfilling their purpose. It kept them from actually protecting themselves fully. It kept them from the blessing that God had for them. And so, Nehemiah, he calls them. He says, what you're doing is not right. And to be honest, other than reselling the children to pagans, what they were doing is practically practical business. 
You make a loan, banks charge interest to make profit on that loan. That's just business. It, technically, what they were doing was probably good business even for that time other than selling of children. But the reality is it wasn't right because the people were hurting and they were extorting them. So it might be good business practices, but at the end of the day, it wasn't right business practices. And Nehemiah says, what you're doing is not right. And here's the deal. We need to do what's right, even if it costs us. It might cost us. It would have cost them to give back everything. And it did cost them. But it was right. And we need to do what's right. And you know what will, what will happen when we start doing what's right, even if it costs us? We'll notice that dissension is going to turn into unity. Jesus said, man, if you go to make an offer, offering before the Lord and you, you think that someone has something against you, you need to go and apologize to that person. Not if you have something against someone else. You go apologize and then come back and make your offering. And there is something about doing what's right that brings unity. Sometimes I wonder, I wonder... You know, we want the Holy Spirit to move. If, if, I had a, if I had a show of hands, let's just, how many of you guys want the Holy Spirit to move in the church today? Every one of us. Uh, I, I think, like, that's, that's amazing. I'm with you. I want the Holy Spirit to be active in every member. But what I've noticed is he's only active when there's unity. In Acts chapter 2, it says they're one mind and one accord. So what do we get united behind? They were united in chapter 3, chapter 4, um, in chapter 2. They were united behind a vision and a purpose. And they, got, they stepped in. God gave us our, our vision. He gave us our purpose. He gave us. It's, it's, in, it's Mark 16, Acts chapter 2, Matthew 28, to preach the gospel. That might look different. For me, I like to talk to people. But it might just be you praying for people. It might be you being a, a constant force. It might, I, like, you got to use your strength to preach the gospel. We're without excuse there, but we got to be united behind our purpose. So for me, if, if I say, wow, that church is doing ministry so weird, I would never do that. And I'm like, man, they have a doctrinal, like for a pastor, I, I constantly think about like, okay, what's their doctrinal stance on this? What's, you know, because I'm held accountable not only to the word of God, first and foremost, but we're assemblies of God. So there is an accountability there. So um, I'm asking myself, and at the end of the day, I think sometimes dissension can set in between denominations because there's different doctrinal things, and that's a horrible thing because we're one church and we have one purpose. That's just what, I'm just giving you a glimpse of sometimes the stuff I ask. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful in my heart, I could say, wow, they're wrong, and that's wrong. Because, man, if they're taken and leading people to Jesus, if they're taking and getting people baptized, and they're taking and changing people's eternity, who am I to say what's wrong? And I don't want to let dissension set in, because we're one church. I mean, I look, forward to look, I, I look forward to working with the different churches around here, because I want to grow the kingdom. So we got to be united. And when, when we're united, the Holy Spirit's going to empower us. Maybe not the way you think, like old-time revivals and everyone's laid out on the floor and bobby pins are flying everywhere. No one wears that many bobby pins anymore anyway. So, but, but you might start noticing the power of the Holy Spirit when you start praying for people at work and you're like, wow, 
I pray for that person, and man, God provided a job, or God moved and healed their son, God, and you're going to start noticing, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is always tied to the unity of the body, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 9, I mean, just every time that Spirit outpours, there's a unification, and so another thing that stops the work is anger. Ironically, it's the first thing that started the work, too. So, anger is not a sin. The Bible says, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for all are members of one body. If your anger, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I find it interesting that the foothold we can give the enemy is our anger. And I've, I've heard it, like, man, I just have an anger problem. My dad had an anger problem. It's just like, it's just our family. Well, change it. You don't have to choose anger. Anger is a choice. And um, I know the Lord is working on all of us differently, but the Bible doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So what I would suggest is that we get angry about the right thing. The people were angry at the injustice. That's the right thing. But their anger kept them from fulfilling their purpose. That's the wrong thing. Because so often we can sit and steam and get so mad that we freeze. And we don't do what we're supposed to do. Or we end up doing what we're not supposed to do and we lash out out of anger. When we act out of anger, that's when it crosses the line of sin. And so what I find is, man, let's... Can I just be real for a moment? And I'm just, I'm just going to hit on it for just a quick second. And everyone have their steel toe boots on. If any of you ladies are wearing sandals, tuck your feet right up under your chair real quick. <laughs> but I find that the world knows more what Christians stand against than, what, than who we stand for. I'm not the first person to say that, but we have social media warriors and not prayer warriors. And um, Jesus said, my people who are, or not Jesus, uh, Isaiah said, my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. But we get on Facebook or your mode of social media and we make this campaign about everything we stand against. And we demonize political parties. We demonize different opinions, we demonize. And I sometimes sit back and ask myself, if I posted this, is this something Jesus would post if he had an account? Because you know who Jesus opposed the most in the Bible? It was Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religion of the day. No, he was sitting down having dinner with, it was sinners. question is, do we look more like Pharisees or do we look more like Jesus? And I, I want to set everyone free for a moment. Guess what? You can keep scrolling. You don't have to like and share. Your blessing <laughs> is not tied to whether you shared a picture of Jesus. I just everyone be free in the name of Jesus. If you want to share it, go ahead. There's nothing against it. I'm, I'm just teasing. Um, 
there is a there's a lady in Arkansas um, that is my niece's great grandmother, and she sends me these pictures like once a week of Jesus saying, send it to all your friends and God has a blessing for you. I'm like, man, I wonder how many blessings I've missed out on because I have not sent that to any of my friends. (laughs) I'm like, man, my new car was wrapped up in that one from a year ago. I know it. But we get angry about the wrong things. We get angry and there... There is, a, there is a time and a place for anger. But what do we do with the anger? Because we get angry about the wrong things and people see, wow, that you're a Christian and all I see is you're against this, you're against this, you're against this, and you're against this. And we polarize. If I'm going to polarize people, it's not going to be about politics. I don't, I'll, I'll give you my political opinion, not on stage, in a private conversation, but... I don't go out of my way to talk politics. I don't want to talk politics. If I'm going to polarize anyone, it's going to be with the cross of Jesus Christ. It's going to be with the love of Jesus Christ. If people are going to disagree with me, it's because Jesus loves them and they don't want to hear it. And anger will keep us, if, if we act out of anger, it will keep us from our purpose. The Jews got off the wall and stopped working because they were angry at the injustice. They were angry at their kinfolk. They are angry at their family. Nehemiah says, you're hurting your own family. I said the, 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 the hurt, the hurt that hurts the most is from family. And the reality is the church is a family. Jesus was sitting with his disciples and they said, hey, your family's here to come get you because you're talking crazy. And Jesus turned and said, who's my family? You're my family. You're my family. You know, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Alan and I, we had the same dad. I don't know if you guys knew that. His name's Father God. We're family. And the hurt that happens between us sometimes can lead to dissension and anger. And it can lead to us painting a target on the wrong person. And it can lead to us stopping our purpose and our vision. But what starts the work What starts the work? That's the next question. What starts the work of God in us and through us? The first thing that starts the work, anger. When we let God channel the anger, and we let God channel it the right way, one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite stories about Jesus is found in John chapter 2. Go read it. It's amazing. It really shows, like, it shows the aspect of Jesus. That's why I love John's gospel. I love all the gospels. They're all my favorites. But John's gospel shows a little avenue of Jesus that we don't really get. But it says that Jesus, during the, passion, uh, during, during the week of uh, uh, Passover, he, he walks into the temple and he sees money changers. Going, he sees people uh, selling doves, selling cattle, sh- selling sheep. And because during the Passover, if you don't know anything about Jewish uh, culture at the time, is everyone would have to come back to Jerusalem and they'd have to make a sacrifice for their sin for the previous year. And so what, would, what was happening though, what, why Jesus got so mad um, 
was people would come with their spotless lambs and different things like that, and they would bring them, and, and they would inspect them. They said, oh, no, your lamb's not spotless, but we got this lamb right over here for a, for a convenient fee that's a uh, temple-tested, mother-approved lamb for, for your sacrifice. And they would give them pennies on the dollar for their lamb and then charge them exorbitant amounts for, for this temple lamb. And then, then also a lot of poor people could not afford to bring the lamb, so the Lord worked that in. So they would, they would have doves and stuff like that that they could sacrifice for their sin. Well, because God loves everyone. God wants everyone to be forgiven. What was happening, though, was really hard to travel great distance with birds. I'm, I've never really traveled across country on a camel or in a, in a caravan like that, but I can only imagine it's probably hard to travel in a vehicle across country with a bird, much less across um, terrain like that with livestock. So they would just go to the temple and buy birds out of, out of convenience. But what was happening is um, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the priests got together and like, hey, you know, you know, we never got land out of this deal um, with God, so we have an opportunity here to make a little bit of money. And so they would start charging them crazy amounts for birds. And then on top of that, there was an exchange rate. The law demanded that they had to use the Jewish shekel for their sacrifice. Well, the money at the time of Christ was the Roman coin. So, like, let's just say, for instance, for um, layman's terms, let's say the, the shekel and the Roman coin were dollar for dollar. They would say, here's my Roman coin, and technically they should have just gave them one shekel. But instead, they were saying, oh, you want a shekel? That will be $12. They were extorting them. Nehemiah was dealing with the same thing. You're, like, you're charging interest to people who are starving? They're, they're, they're selling their land, their daughters, everything, just to, just to meet the taxes, which weren't that high. And... and like, he's like, what you're doing is wrong. Jesus, if you read John chapter 2, it says that he saw this, and then he made a whip. I love it, because it gives us a glimpse of Jesus. He's sitting there, watching. And then it says that he drove them from the temple. He said, this house will be known as a house of prayer, and you turned it into a den of thieves. You would say, well, that's not the Jesus I serve. He would never hit someone with a whip. He did. It's in John chapter 2. Go read it. It's awesome. Jesus was a boss. You know, he not only knew how to make your table, but he knew how to make a whip. I mean, it was, dude, he was awesome. And he drove them from the temple. He turned their table, not only just drove them out of the temple, like, get out of here. He's like walking up and just flipping their, their table with money on it. He's turning the tables and he's saying, get out of here. How is he not sinning? May I suggest to you that that was an act of grace. He was driving people from sinning further. They were already sinning. He was driving them from sinning further. His anger drove him to the right reaction. What's our reaction? Nehemiah, his anger, if, if, if the Jews listened to Jesus in that moment, and they would have listened to his words as he was acting, it would have led to a place of repentance for them. Nehemiah, when he was angry, it, he, he took and he called the sin 
the sin. He said, this is wrong. Do you not fear God? Are you not afraid to be mocked by pagans? The reality is, sometimes people don't know that we're a Christian because we're no different than them, and then when they find out, they, they mock us. They might not mock us to our face, but if how we're reacting and how we're talking and how we're living is not reflecting Jesus, we're making a mockery of ourselves. And Nehemiah is saying, you say you serve a just God. You say you serve a merciful God. But the reality is, what you're doing is showing injustice and cruelty. That's not the heart of God. Jesus is driving these people from the temple. And he's saying, you say you serve God, but you're extorting people. God's law demands that they make a sacrifice, but you're putting in as many obstacles as you can between them and God. Our job isn't to put obstacles between people and God. Our job is to remove obstacles between people and God. Paul said it this way, if me eating meat causes someone to stumble, I'll never eat meat again because it's better for me not to eat meat and let someone led to the Lord than, than me put a stumbling block in my brother's path. And so Jesus was angry, Nehemiah was angry, and it led to something. It started the work back. It started the work back. What did it lead to? It led to repentance. When we truly have righteous indignation and we're letting it draw us to the right thing and we're letting it push us to the right thing, not the wrong thing, because so often we let it push us to the wrong thing. We, we, we let it push us to reaction instead of, uh, instead of um, proaction. I can't think of the word. We, we react when we're angry instead of saying, okay, God, I'm going to take and I'm going to, I'm angry about this. i got to be honest. I'm just going to be transparent. I'm not going to be political, but there are things in my life, there, there are things in this world that make me livid, one of which is abortion. It just drives me. It's, it's, I, I think it's the biggest horrid thing that our nation's ever done. 40 million plus babies since Roe vs. Wade have been killed. If, if you're here and you've had an abortion, there's grace for you and God loves you and he cares for you and he, he wants to help you because I've never met someone who has that hasn't wrestled and beat themselves up. The reality is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has forgiveness for you and God has grace for you. But when I see the injustice of this, it makes me livid. But what I don't do is I don't go stand in front of abortion clinics with this picket sign. My, my anger, it's there. It's there. It makes me angry. I mean, like, I read some. Sometimes I, I have to stop myself because Amy's like, hey, did you read this? And I'll just say, Ames, I don't want to hear it at this moment because I want to hit something. Because, <laughs> like, and we're renting a house right now. I have to pay for those things. <laughs> like, like, you know, like. But, or I, I actually turn Amber Alerts up on my phone. And when I hear them, I stop and pray. Because it makes me angry. Someone that was still a child. Like, it might be because I'm a dad, but it just, ugh! And 
and I'm not saying that I can't talk and I can't act in love. Like, if I, if I, if I were to talk to someone that is for it, I would have a conversation in love with them. And I would, I would love to learn why, and then I would pray that they would hear me. I would conver- conversate, but inside I would be... But outwardly, and I would also be saying, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me not to hit this person. No, but I would be praying on the inside, Lord, help me to show your love. 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 Because our reaction when people disagree with us is not love. That's not our natural reaction. So that's one thing that just that, that, that sets me off. And but I'm not gonna go stand and picket fence it. I'm not gonna go stand and land blast my Facebook. I have better things to post. There's pictures of my kids I could post. There's there's pictures, I mean, like, there's scriptures to post. There's something that can encourage someone. I'm not going to picket fence someone. I don't want the world to see me and say, wow, you know what? I know that pastor. He stands against this, 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 and this. Uh, uh, what I want, I'm going to say, man, I, I know that pastor, man. I, he, he, he talked to me down at the square, man. He was just a really nice guy, and I could really see that God's love was on him. That's what I want. And Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So, but, but there is a place for anger that leads to repentance. And, and when I'm angry, the best thing I can do is pray. I can't stop abortion. But I could pray that, that, man, God will raise up clinics that will help sponsor life, that God would, God would help fund, um, help fund um, adoption. There's number of things that we could pray for. I could pray. But that, that prayer is, prayers. that's the, the first response that the Bible tells us. My people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. And, and, and repentance starts with prayer. And it, it, it ends with action. And it's a humbling thing because in repentance you say, God, you're right. But if God's right, that means I'm wrong. Nehemiah says, what you are doing is not right. It's not right. They had to agree with Nehemiah to repent. In order for us to walk in repentance before a living God that loves us, cares for us, and a merciful God, we have to agree with him. But agreeing is not the same as action. I can agree with you all day, like, wow, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I pulled up to pick up a friend of mine when Andy was, my friend Andy was here, and he was talking to Randy, and I had my windows down for the first time. I heard it in my vehicle. My squeakers on my brakes were going, Green! and most of the time, I had my windows up and music blaring, and so I can't hear it. So if, I ever, if you ever see Pastor Ryan in a car accident, it's probably because I didn't agree <laughs> or I didn't act. Because Randy's like, whoa, you need brakes. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I do need brakes. But if that's as far as it ever goes, guess what? My brakes are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm going to eventually going to be metal on metal. I'm not going to have to just replace my brake pads. I'm going to have to replace my rotors. Uh, it might mess with my line. I mean, there's all sorts of things that get... When, when, when we just agree with God, that's not enough. We have to act. Repentance is an action. It's saying, God, I agree with you. This course of action in my life, 
my, my responses, what I'm doing, whatever it might be, whatever the Lord's convicting you over. It might not be sin, but if the Lord's convicting you over it, it's become sin. That's the reality of it. And so, whatever it is, you say, Lord, you're right. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. There are harmless apps on my phone that um, they, they literally just tell movie time, and they just tell, like, what theaters are playing, and I remember a couple years ago, because I love movies. I love movies. I, 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 I enjoy a good movie. I, I will stay up and watch a movie just to be alone and watch a movie, you know? I, I will go to the movie theater by myself to watch a movie. And like, so, I mean, just because that's how sometimes we have to do things with parenting two kids. But I love movies, but this app is called IMDB. It's called International Movie Database. And I was on it so much because I would watch trailers. I had trailers for new movies coming up and stuff like that. And I was on it, and the Lord said, you need to delete that. It's eaten into our time. I'm like, but God, it's just an app. And he's like, are you, you going to listen to me? There wasn't sin, but when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And so suddenly I said, okay, God, and I deleted it. I haven't looked back, never reinstalled it. I agreed with God, and I acted. It doesn't have to be a big action. It could be a step towards what God wants you to do. But what starts the work back in our life? What gets us back on purpose? What gets us back in doing what he wants us to do? Anger, righteous anger, godly anger that leads to repentance, which leads to praise. I love this. I love that Nehemiah included it. He says, after they repented, and they said, I'm going to do everything you ask. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me estates. It's going to cost me interest. It's going to cost me to do the right thing. But I could tell you this. When we do the right thing, it's going to make us want to praise God, even if it costs you. Even if it, like, <laughs> there was one time I was standing in line at Walmart, and I really felt the Lord saying, you need to buy the single mom's groceries. I'm like, all right, all right. And, um, and uh, she was actually behind me, and I told the cashier, um, um, I kind of stepped off to the side, but I said, don't let her pay. I'm going to pay for it. So I kind of stepped off. I wasn't really paying attention. And when she got done, and he kind of motioned for me to come back over there, I uh, walked up, and I saw the total. I was like, don't! What was I thinking? <laughs> was she, like, just throwing candy right there at the end? <laughs> you know, like, but I, I did it. And uh, I walked away saying, thank you, God. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for um, just giving, like, I never saw her again. I, like, as far as I know, you know, like, someone didn't just, I didn't walk out the doors of Walmart and there was a $1,000 bill left. Like, you know, like, you know, it, it wasn't like that. But I walked out praising God. I walked away saying, almost in tears, like, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I know that this is what I needed to do because I kept hearing her little boy in the cart behind her saying, Mommy, can I have a Gatorade? Mommy, can I have a Gatorade? Mommy, can I have a Gatorade? So what I ended up doing was I just bought a Gatorade and I put it in my stuff and I gave it to her. Gave it, like, she's like, because what I kept hearing also was, no, no, no. And she didn't, she spoke very broken English. She said, we don't have money. And 
but she was buying food. It was literally just food. There was like corn, cornmeal and just different things like that in there. And the Lord's like, you need to do this. I'm like, all right. We've got to do the right thing, even if it costs us. But when we, when we repent and we agree with God and we act in agreement with God, it will lead to praise. It will lead to praise. So what I want to do today there are people in this room there are, that, that you have something in mind. You, you have a target that you've painted. It might be a person at, a, at another church. It might be a person at your job. I, I don't know. But I think what we need to do today is take moments during worship and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to paint the right target on the right enemy. Some of us need to say, Lord, I rebuke dissension in my heart. Release unity. One of the things I pray for this whole church is I rebuke dissension over it. I walk through here and I rebuke dissension. And it's not because I feel like we're dis- dissent. I don't, I don't feel that, but I don't want that. I constantly release unity. Lord, I thank you for the unity of our church. I thank you for the unity of purpose. I thank you. And so... Some of us need to respond by responding. Some of us need to respond with praise because we're repenting. Some of us need to respond with kneeling. My people who are called by my name and humble themselves and pray. You might not be kneeling, but you might just need to say, God, I need to pray. You might just need to get out of your seat to find a different spot in the room during worship. We don't have to stick to this spot, but the reality is, I think that there needs to be a response. There needs to be a response. So this is what's going to happen as Rorick starts to sing here in a moment. As the Lord prompts you, you're going to respond. Some of you guys are going to find yourself up at the front saying, I don't know how I got up here, but I just need to get up here and pray. Some of you guys are going to find yourself in front of me or Amy saying, I just need prayer about the situation. We're not just up here to lead people to the Lord. We want to pray with you about your situation. Some of you guys have situations in your life that you don't want to tell anyone about, but you need help praying for it. That's why we're up here, because we love you. We want to pray with you. Some of you guys today are having physical issues. You're having physical issues in your life. God needs to heal you. God wants to heal you. If you're having having pain or, or issues, come up forward. Because we want to pray for those. But what I don't want to happen is that the Holy Spirit's prompting you. We say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here as long as you fit, fit, fit my, my, uh, my comfort level. No, that, that's, not, that's not how it goes. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here or he's not. So when we say he's welcome here, that means we have to walk in obedience. That means we have to do what he tells us to do. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ most important thing you could do in response is to say, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. And apart from you, I'm going to a very real hell. But I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again to set me free from the power of sin. If you're here today and you never made that confession of faith, my wife and I will be up here. And we want to lead you to him. We want to make the introduction. That's the best introduction I ever get to make. So let's all stand. As he starts to sing, Let's respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you, disobey. This is going to happen. God wants to do things today. Let's respond.